0: Ryan are you there?
1: Hello Michael, hello internet, hello world.
0: Hello worldwide internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack show. I'm Michael Sacks in San Francisco, Ryan Buckley. You're in Portland, Oregon, Ryan. It's Wednesday night, January 15th, 845 on the West Coast. How are you? Uh,
1: I am excellent. I'm a little bit uh, sad about the end of the college football season, mm-hmm. although uh, hope springs eternal with coaching changes and My ducks got a new offensive coordinator today, or at least that's what the reports say. So, uh, but overall, like I'm, I'm doing great. But uh, man, Monday was a hell of a game. Where I know we're going to get into that specifically, but like it is, I'm excited for this weekend of football. But I am bummed that college football is over. It was a really good season.
0: It's rough, man. It was a really good season. You know, I was thinking about it, and I think that, and this is a this is a bold claim to make, and who's going to really be able to verify it other than me? But I think that I probably have watched more football this season than any, than any season in my life. I, I really do. Between college and pro. Good for you. I mean, I've really watched a lot of ball. There was very few big games that I, that I haven't seen on the college side. And I've watched more pro than usual, too. I, like you, I'm excited for Championship Sunday. I always love Championship Sunday. Uh, we're going to talk about those games when we go in the book. But both of our good of the week is the LSU Tigers, Going undefeated, uh, their second championship, uh, sorry, their second undefeated season in school history, their fourth national championship, Um, and it's both our good of the week, just the dominating fashion in which the LSU Tigers won not only the championship, but the whole season. I'll, I'll let you start from there, but what are your thoughts on this great run that they've had?
1: Yeah, I mean, they just boat race people really all season long, and it's it's not just uh, it's one of those things where I think that we are so frequently in sports we're, we're in the goat era where every person and everything has to be the greatest of all time, and like we look to assign that uh, extreme label and superlative to absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. But the more you think about it, and as much as you want to tell yourself that. You're not going to allow what you just saw to be the the thing that sticks out as the the best and the most important and the and the most significant that you've seen. Like it, there's really a chance that this LSU team is the best college football team that I've ever seen, and uh, and there, it, that's for a lot of different reasons. But uh, just on paper, you look at their resume; they beat five of the top eight teams in the country. They beat, uh, I believe. Eight teams that were ranked in the top ten, they you know they didn't they didn't trail from October 26th until the national championship game Monday night, and they and that That's was amazing. when they were playing a top ten Auburn team and the gauntlet of a schedule that they went through, having to play Alabama and Tuscaloosa, having to um, having to play uh, obviously Georgia in the championship game, and they they had to, I mean, they had a total gauntlet ahead of them of, of top 10 teams. And they just pretty much handled all of them. And, you know, you look at, you can look at any side of the ball. You can look at any very, you know, various unit. I know that their offensive line won the collective award for the best offensive line in the country. They had yeah. all Americans on both sides sides of the ball. I really didn't, follow very closely their defense this year, but watched every snap of the game Monday night. And um, just those two players in Stingley and Queen were just everywhere. I mean, they were all over the place. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you have top-end, next-level talent at every skill position, especially the quarterback spot. Um, And And the receiver,
0: man. That guy, Jamar
1: Chase, is is great.
0: He's a great college receiver. And the running back's a great college running back.
1: Yeah, that Clyde Edwards Hilaire has this low center of gravity. He's super tough to tackle. He's he's, he's kind of he's kind of a jitterbug. bug. Uh, I mean, they just had so many weapons. And what what I also really like, and so I mean, I think you you look at the talent, the awards, the schedule, and the way they, they went about it. Um, you can make arguments, at least in my lifetime, that they're that they're the best champion uh, that there has been. But um, that's. And easy for anyone to debate, and it's uh, easy to come up with other reasons other teams are better. But the other just two storylines I really like from it are both that of Joe Burrow and of Ed Orgeron. And I know that they're the popular ones. I know that they're the popular narratives. Um, but Joe Burrow was a guy who was um, from the state of Ohio, went to Ohio State, uh, did not win the job, <clears throat> didn't uh, think that he deserved to win the job, but he did the transfer thing. And ends up at LSU in a different environment, and he embraces the school, and, and they embrace him. And with the addition of Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator who's now already off to Carolina, um, they just made some magic happen with the offense. But it's, it's cool to see a guy who didn't start as number one uh, grow into being that guy. And I think the same could be said for Ed Orgeron, who... Um, had a great track record as a recruiter and as a position coach, and then when then got the label, you know, interim Ed for being the guy who kind of took over programs in peril. Um, did it at USC, did it at uh, at Ole Miss, and then I mean, basically, it was a situation where he was deemed not good enough by these other schools he was at, and maybe he wasn't at the time. Uh, but you better believe that USC would be killing themselves to get Ed Orgeron back. And now uh, he's back in the state he grew up in, the state he loves, and uh, back at uh, school he had previously coached at and not gotten the head gig at. And uh, it's just, just cool to see that whole thing come full circle for him and it, kind of a redemption story for him and a, and a little bit for Burrow, obviously, for different reasons. But uh, I'm into the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, on to your point, that you were just making about, Orgeron and Burrow, they were shunned by, by other big-time programs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Burrow's both dad and brothers played at Nebraska. He grew up a big Nebraska fan. And he wanted fan. to go there, and they didn't want him. They didn't want him. And then Ohio State, he couldn't get it done there. And then I think a lot of people forget that Burrow was actually LSU's starting quarterback last year, and he, and he wasn't, very good. It wasn't very good. He wasn't very good. He wasn't very good, and when he opened the season, I think he was – 201 odds to win the Heisman. Yep. And then he goes out and puts, you know, very arguably the greatest season any quarterbacks had in the history of college football. You know, I, I feel like the, the latest guy, the most recent guy to have that label, you know, the best pl- quarterback in the history of college football was Tim Tebow, who famously led uh, or helped lead Florida to two national championships. I mean, Tim Tebow as a college football player, Tim Tebow was great. I don't want to take anything away from him. Joe Burrow is four or five notches above Tim Tebow yeah. as, as, a, yeah. as a college quarterback. I mean, he just is. You can't really debate that. Uh, and then, you know, Ordron, LSU didn't want him to be their head coach. You know, he took over the interim job from when they got rid of Les Miles. He did really well. And then they went hard after Tom Herman. And it wasn't until Herman spurned LSU for Texas that they kind of had to settle for for Ed Ordron. I... I thought it was a terrible move on LSU's part to give Orger on the job. I didn't think there was any chance he could do what he's done. And I think most people in and around college football agreed with me. And we were wrong. We were dead wrong. But you know what?
1: Maybe it's a perfect storm. Maybe they're a one-hit wonder. But they, they, they sure as hell put it together for this year.
0: And, you know, I don't know. You know, people want to say he's done such a good job of adapting and hiring these coaches and bringing in Joe Brady and changing it. And it all just sort of worked out, but I, I think that that is almost a cop-out. I mean, at this point, you lead your team to 15-0 and, and beat the teams that they beat this year and the way they did it. He deserves every bit of credit that, he, that comes his way, and I'm happy for him. I mean, he legitimately does seem like a pretty good guy. He's a little different. You know, he seems a little nutty, but that's part of the charm, and he's recruiting like crazy, and he just went 15-0. And, 0. and I, I just want to touch on, your, on their schedule and who they beat as you did, and just sort of expand on that a little more. Because to me, the debate, are they the best team in the history of college football, you know, who's to say? Nobody really knows. You know, we didn't see the great Army teams, you know, uh, Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside. You know, we didn't see Roger Staubach play. We didn't see any of Newt Rockne's teams play. You know, you get where I'm saying. But even to compare this LSU team to some of the great Miami teams of you know, more recent vintage, you know, Matt Leinert's team at USC, some of the teams Saban's had at Alabama, some of the Nebraska teams Tom Osborne won. I just think it's really impossible to, to sort of compare. But It is. But when you look at the schedule and and who yeah. they beat, you know, you talked about all the top 10 teams. They played at Texas. The second week of the season, who was ranked ninth at the time. And they hung
1: 45 on them, right? They
0: put 45 on them. That was really Burroughs coming out party. They won by seven, but Sam Ellinger in Texas put up a touchdown very late. It was really a two-touchdown win. Mm -hmm. It was a great game. Then they beat Florida, who was ranked seventh at the time on October the 12th. They beat them by two touchdowns. They beat Auburn. Auburn and Alabama were their two closest games of the year. Auburn, they played them in, at LSU. Auburn was ranked ninth at the time. LSU won by three. Uh, Auburn's defense really played well that game and probably gave Burrow the most trouble he had all season. Then the following game, they went to Tuscaloosa. You know, remember Tua had sat out the week prior to that game. There was some question as if he would play. He ended up playing, but he you know, he played well, but he was clearly hobbled. You know, the turnover there early where he just sort of dropped the ball going into the end zone was really a play. It was the first series for Alabama. I felt like that really turned the whole game. But Burrow and LSU prevailed by five, forty-six to forty-one in Tuscaloosa. Alabama was ranked three at the time. LSU was, I remember, a six point underdog in that game. And then later, they played Georgia, who was fourth in the country, and just dismantled them in the SEC Championship. The following week, they played number four, Oklahoma. They dismantled them. And here they play number three, Clemson. And it was a great game for the first two-and-a-half quarters, but the last quarter-and-a-half was all LSU. You know, to that game in particular, Clemson scores the the touchdown and then the two-point conversion to get within three. About midway through the third. And I felt like, I mean, I said it out loud to myself that we were in for an all time classic football game. And then from that point on, it was just all LSU. And give their defense credit, they shut down Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, they did. And Etienne and, and Ross and Higgins. You know, I, I felt like Higgins in both playoff games, he kind of went out and came back in. He wasn't really there for his team. I don't want to, you know, he, he was hurt. I don't really know what happened, but he was not good in those two playoff games. And I yeah, feel and, like, he had,
1: and, you know, whether or not he was full go, he had drops and balls that he should have caught.
0: I just don't understand what happened to Clemson's offense there down the stretch. They just disappeared. I mean, it was three and out. After three and out, I didn't Well The other belt. thing is,
1: I, I think that the you got to give the LSU defensive front a lot of credit because. You do. It just felt like uh, Lawrence was hurried a lot of the time he was throwing the ball. He was sailing a lot of it high, but I just don't feel like he is ever able to get comfortable – in the pocket or on the move. They, they did a nice job setting the edge and then getting to him very quickly.
0: They really did. And you have to give that defense led by Dave Aranda, who's the highest-paid assistant in all of college football, you got to give them a lot of credit. You know, the Joe Brady story is certainly a very interesting one. That that sort of scenario is going to live forever, where he comes in. You know, he was just uh, – he wasn't even the quarterback's coach, I don't think, with New Orleans, but Ordron somehow found him brought him in and he and he you know Brady wasn't really supposedly even calling the plays Steve Emzinger their former quarterback was I'm really interested to know what that relationship was like and what Joe Brady was really doing I'm not sure if that story's ever going to really get told but I'm interested in it and just the whole thing I mean to me when I watch Burrow play and I watch LSU play a lot um this season I just kind of kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. I felt like it was just too good to be true, that it was just too easy. You know, there's no way that Burrow could be the player he was last year and turn into what we saw this year. I kept waiting for him to have, you know, not a a great game. And it just never happened. You know, uh, Clemson did a lot of things to him early in that game. They had him on the ropes. But then Brady and and Emzinger and Burrow and whoever else was involved there, they really figured it out. You know, when I watch LSU play, they do this whole thing almost every play where they call the play at the line of scrimmage. They see where how the defense is set, then bur- burrow, and the whole offense looks to the sideline for some sort of signal. And it just seemed like LSU was always a step ahead of the other defense. It was almost like a, 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 a guy or a girl in high school or college that goes into a test and it's already seen all the answers to the test. I mean, it almost felt like they were doing something illegal. I'm not accusing like them of like that. they're a at step all. ahead, yeah. But they were just, I'm not accusing them
1: of that. No, no. But I they know. were
0: just so good. It just felt like they had the cheat sheet that nobody else had. I mean, every play they would run in critical situations all season was just the perfect play, and Burrow would make the perfect decision and throw a
1: perfect pass. I mean it was just they he was perfect. And he did it all, all season. season. The, the season. dude was 76% on the season. That's insane.
0: And threw sixty touchdown passes. And Against the way, six picks. The the way he he could run when they needed to, I mean just he was just a he had a a perfect I mean, there was Mm -hmm. not really a blemish to be seen the whole year. So I give them all the credit in the world. And then to do it, you know, in their backyard in New Orleans where they had the last time they played in the championship in 2011. They they didn't cross the 50 against Alabama in that rematch game. To sort of avenge that and do it the way they did it. You know, it doesn't get better for any fan base in all of sports. Than it is right now for the LSU fan base. So good for them! Uh, just an amazing, amazing season and an amazing
1: run. Absolutely. I mean, it was it, like, like we said, at the, or like I said at the beginning of it, and, and you may agree. It's it's really hard to compare eras and teams, but certainly one of the best ever, if not the best ever. Yeah. I
0: mean, if nothing else, again, the schedule they played and to go fifteen and zero. In this day and age, to you know, to go, they, they play in the toughest division, in the toughest conference. They had to play a championship game against the second best team in their conference, and then two playoff games. I mean, that's fifteen and zero. It's incredibly tough to do. Uh, Clemson did it the year before, and it's just, it's just an amazing thing. So, all all credit to LSU. Good for the Tigers. That's our good of the week. What's your bad?
1: Man, I'm, I'm torn on my bat of the week. I know I sent you one idea. There are, there are really three things that are on my mind, so I want to do something <laughs> a little bit unique. Okay. I'm not going to go in-depth on any of them. I'm going to give you kind of my brief thoughts on three things and whichever you think is uh, the most interesting you can latch on to. Cool. But um, the first is, is targeting in college football. I really did not like last night that the middle linebacker, Skalski, for Clemson, Got ejected um, in that, that in that in that it. ball game because he lowered his head and by by the letter of the law, what he did was illegal. But I think he was a kid trying to make a play. I don't think there was malicious intent behind the hit, and I think the rule sucks. I think that it should be administered more like the NBA, where it's like a flagrant one and two. There's one that if it's incidental and you didn't mean to, you you essentially get teed up. And there's a, a small penalty, so you maybe make that a personal foul-type penalty. And then there's the other kind where it looks like you're intentionally trying to do harm. Uh, I would love to see something like that because I think the situation that happened last night wasn't good. That's number one. My number two is the situation almost immediately after the game with Odell Beckham and a couple of the LSU players where he was seen giving wads of cash to them. And the whole thing started, to think of, at the very beginning – from all sides. First you had the people who were mad that Odell Beckham was out there doing that. Then you had the people who were mad that anybody cared that he was out there doing that. Then you had the school trying to say that the money was actually fake, as if we're to believe that he was walking around with a fanny pack full of novelty money most of the night. Yeah. Uh, he's, lo- it,
0: he's a big Monopoly player.
1: Um, but there's there's so much sanctimony on both sides for how wrong or how right – uh, it is I could go down that road, and then additionally, uh, unrelated to Monday night's game, the reports coming out of uh, State College, Pennsylvania are incredibly disturbing now oh, sure. uh, now re- reports of hazing um, you know less than a you know less than a decade removed from the Joe Paterno and Jerry Sandusky. Uh, Situation. Well, I don't know what, do you, what do you want to call it. Situation. Systematic failure uh, that happened there. There's some disturbing reports coming out about hazing that involved uh, sexual abuse, and uh, that's a little that's a little bit terrifying given their history. So, wh- which of those would fire you up, Michael? All three, Ryan.
0: Um, all three. I'm interested in all three. I'm the least interested in the OBJ thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I really don't care. I do think it's a bad look for. I don't know, not so much him, but the LSU program, I mean, you know, in the wake of, you know, not seconds have gone by since you've won this great national championship that you've got, you know, an NCAA violation going on on the field that you just won the championship and it's now on video and it's all over social media. I don't really have a huge problem with it, but it's just a it's a crap look I think it was a bad hours. look, and the other
1: thing too is it's just to me that's that's kind of Odell Beckham where it's at this point, I think that he is he's more hype than he is substance, and like that was more about him being noticed and what it ended up doing is causing a stir uh for the program that he that he's you know that he loves he's he was become a he has become a negative distraction or detractor from what they've just done uh because of it, but I also think it's you know, it's ridiculous. It makes you kind of step back and think about the situation that we're in where Edo Orgeron can win a half-a-million-dollar bonus for winning the game last night and doing his job, but a player goes and does his job, and, like, the only thing they can collect on is the gift suite from sure. Allstate that, you know, was furnished by the bowl and That, game, that so. is
0: a good point. I mean, I think Dabo got a million-dollar bonus for just getting to the championship game. Mm-hmm. Um, Edo, I think may have gotten 500 to get there in a million. He, I don't know. I
1: know that he maxed out his incentives at I think somewhere in the range of $1.17 million or something like that. But,
0: you know, I think this is a situation like many others where it's a don't hate the player, hate the game. You know, rules are rules, and you can disagree with them, but if you're going to break them, maybe not do it right on the field right after you won the championship.
1: You know, it's a, I it know. was in po- it was it was a poor idea in poor taste. Uh, yeah, it just I mean, it just didn't it didn't make sense. It didn't enhance the moment. It w- it was just well, kind of a know, look at me. Here's another
0: thing. thing that's a little bit related, but not really the 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 point. But just as an aside, I don't really quite understand why these schools let all these former players stand on the sideline during these games. I mean, I know uh, Tyron Matthew was down there. Booger, Mc- I mean Booger McFarlane was like. All, you know, out on the field almost like he was a coach. You could see him on TV at multiple points <laughs> I during missed the that. game. Uh, you know, he was the honorary captain for LSU, mm-hmm. but he was out I mean, he was literally like on the field a couple different times I saw during the game. But why in Alabama does it too? I mean, you know, during these big games, Mark Ingram and Julio Jones and obviously they've got a lot of big-time players who have a lot of money on the sideline. I just think like, just put them up in a suite or something, and yeah, let them agreed. let them hang out there. I think it would be better for them, and I think it would be better for the players. I think it puts a little bit of an undue pressure on these current players who obviously look up to these great, you know, NFL stars. I just think it's. I just. I don't know. I feel like who who am I to say what one team should or shouldn't do? I just think it's a weird look to have these big mega stars just kind of mixing it up with the players during the game. I mean, at one point, they showed the Honey Badger. He was sitting on the bench, you know, with the LSU defense. It's we- It's I, I a little bit weird the, weird, the
1: blurred lines of, like... And also, like, okay, like, y- you know, you had your turn. Like, let this be th- these guys' turn.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the Honey Badgers playing in the AFC Championship game on Sunday. You know, like, get him a suite. He doesn't need to be down on the field, but whatever. If he wants to be down there and they want him down there, that's no problem. Just don't be handing out honeys to the players <laughs> right after the game. You know? Is it, is it really that hard? But that's my take on that. The, the, I'm not going to comment on Penn State. I'm just the whole thing disgusts me. Yeah. That's really the only comment. but I want more facts and figures to come out. I mean, there is a part to the story that you didn't mention, and that is, is that, you know, it's reported. That James Franklin and some of the coaches knew this was going knew on. Knew about it. it. And, yeah. and not only didn't do anything about it, but almost, you know, were pissed off that some of the players were coming to them and trying to blow the whistle. You know, it seemed like they almost wanted this hazing to take place. So if that's true, I think that they have big problems on their hands. We'll see what happens there. The hit, uh, what's the linebacker's name for Clemson?
1: Uh, I can't remember the first name, but the last name is Skalski.
0: Skalski. He, I think he's a fifth-year senior. Mm-hmm. He's like a three- or four-year starter. He's the One heart and soul. One of the smartest soul. guys on
1: their defense. Heart
0: and soul of that defense. And, you know, in that game in particular, they were playing a 3-1-7. So he's the only linebacker on the field for Clemson most of the game. And the hit comes, you and know. And, if, yeah,
1: if you notice, things changed a lot after that a hit. A
0: lot. I mean, it's in the ten, you know, inside the 10-yard line. He's trying to save a touchdown to your point. You know, I think that they called the rule correctly. And I've talked about this, I feel like, five or six times on this show over the course of the season. I hate this college targeting rule, Ryan. They have to change it. It's just horrible. I think that your idea about the flagrant one, flagrant two is a good way to go. You know, it's almost akin to the way they call roughing the kicker now. Is it running into the kicker or is it roughing the kicker? You know, I think that we have to start allowing the referee on the field to sort of feel what the intent was. And I think 100% of fans watching that game would agree. Like, even the most dyed in the wall LSU fan would probably agree. There was no malicious intent on that
1: that hit. He He wasn't trying to hurt anybody. He was just trying to make the tackle.
0: He was a linebacker playing linebacker. I mean, that's what linebackers do. I'm not really sure how, you know, I guess he's supposed, I mean, he's diving at the guy trying to make a tackle to save a touchdown in a very close at that time national championship game that he's worked his whole life for. And, you know, his head hits the guy in the shoulder pad to me. If you want to call a 15 yard penalty, fine, but you can't kick the guy out. And then the way they, the way they kick him out and they, they make him leave the field almost like a perp walk. It's awful, and then
1: like okay, and like you said, not like the, these things are related. But then you have former players from the teams sitting on the benches. They're not even part of the teams. But the guy who's part of the team who is at an infraction has to leave. He can't even be around. It's so
0: bad. And you know this whole thing. It's like this walk of shame. Yeah. where the opposing team fans yeah, can throw shit at you and taunt you. You know, I'm sure some you're totally very...
1: singled out for what mo- in most cases is, a, is an accident.
0: It's just all, all parts of it are bad. They need to change it. I'm, you know, we, again, on record as saying how concerned I am about the safety of the game, the safety of these great players, the future of the game as it relates to concussions and head injuries and, and brain trauma. I, you know, I'm all for player safety, but I just think they've gone way too far, particularly in the college game with this targeting rule. It's ridiculous. They have to change it. They need to change it this offseason. But honestly, it doesn't seem like there's a huge groundswell of support for changing it. It seems like the, uh, the majority are kind of fine with it. I hate it. I really wish they would change it.
1: I do, too. I, I think that if we had the problem of a ton of cheap shots in, the, in college football, that it would make more sense. But I think in most cases, these are guys... That are trying to make a play and aren't trying to, in the definition of the just the word target, target a player. I, I know they've written the rule to say targeting is just lowering your head and leading yeah. with the crown of your helmet, but in a lot of cases, that's guys with forward momentum uh, trying to dive towards an elusive uh, target that you know can't that will move at the last minute or last second. That is, um, and, and it's really difficult to exactly time where your body's going to be. And I think most cases, these guys aren't trying to inflict malicious harm, just the kind of harm you do in tackling somebody.
0: 100%. And, you know, I would have to obviously go back and really study it. But I just feel like out of all the tar- – let's say I saw 25 guys get kicked out for targeting this college football season. That I think that's probably the right number. You know, again, I watched a lot of college games. I'd say I probably saw 25 guys get tossed – I would say maybe three of yep. them were like malicious kill shots where it was just a reckless play where you're launching yourself at a defenseless player. And it's
1: somebody hoping no one sees it and just t- takes a free run on somebody. Lose and tries to mind. Hurt them. They, they just yeah.
0: lost their mind and they had bad intentions. I would say three out of 25 would fall in that category. And the rest of them, just I would like to have seen a 15 yard penalty and move on. But you can't, shouldn't be kicking these guys out of the game and then maybe even suspending them for the first half of the next game yeah. if it happens in the second half. I really hate that rule, too. I mean, we're talking about affecting an entirely different game than the one you're playing in. It's just too much. It's too strict. And, you know, it's just we agree on this. So uh, let's move on, shall we? Let's. Okay.
1: To something else bad, to baseball. something else
0: that's bad in sports. I'm talking about breaking rules. Uh, your Houston
1: Astros, (laughs) not mine, uh, and
0: and I guess your Boston Red Sox and maybe my New York Mets are now (laughs) all sort of caught up in this cheating scandal that started when now A's pitcher Mike Fires talked to the Athletic, and we all know the story by now. You know the Astros had cameras on the catcher's signs, and they had you know iPads in this adjacent replay room and they were banging on uh, trash cans in the dugout to signal to their hitters if a breaking ball was coming or not. You know, Fangraphs did a study, I guess they went through the tape of all the Astros games in 2017 when this is alleged to have all gone down the year they won their World Series. And I guess Fangraphs estimated that the Astros gained an extra five wins during the regular season, which is not insignificant. I mean, who's really to say... I mean, there's a lot of things that we, a lot of things we could talk about. I want to focus on the punishment that Rob Manfred, the MLB commissioner, handed down uh, two days ago. You know, he uh, suspended the GM Jeff Linaud and the manager AJ Hinch for a year each. They were subsequently fired by the Astros owner uh, Jim Crane. Uh, Crane himself was fined five million dollars, and then they were they've lost their first and second round draft picks in the next upcoming two drafts. So that was basically the penalty. I think the reaction around baseball was similar to mine, which is that it was harsh but not harsh enough. And Mm -hmm. I would have liked to have seen, you know, originally I thought that taking the World Series away was just kind of a BS thing to do. It didn't really mean anything. But the more I've looked at this and the more I've read about it, it seems like that probably would have been the way to go. That's what Jim Crane and the Astros really didn't want to happen. A and, vacated
1: title, so yeah, to and speak. So for
0: that reason, the fact that they didn't want it to happen so much, to me, is a good enough reason to have it happen. <laughs> if for no other reason. You know, I feel like when these college teams have to take their championship banner down, uh, it's kind of just a bogus thing. It doesn't really do much, but it's never really happened in American pro sport, so I would be interested to see kind of what it really would kind of shake out to. But the other thing that I wanted to do, and I advocate, I tweeted about this, is do something meaningful to affect these players. Now, they didn't want to go down the road of suspending players. I think they didn't want to get into a fight, you know, a long, drawn-out, ugly public spat. With with the players that they think were implicated here. But
1: you know what? Like the, the evidence is there and I, I know that they don't want to get involved with like the players' union and like I, I get that it's it it's messy, but you get one shot at doing this right. And the fact and that the, the players were completely I mean the players were the ones that had to execute it. I mean, it's like, sure, you know, the Astros may have ordered the code red, but they're the ones that had to actually put the put the cloth over the guy's mouth. You know, it's, it's, yeah. no, it, it is And it's not them like they just
0: did it for a game. I mean, they were apparently doing it. Was it was a system. The whole it was a season system. in through the World Series. I mean, it's just.
1: Outright, yeah. Why, outright why, cheating. Why should, man? why should management cheating. get the boot and nothing happen to the players? Even if you levy a huge fine against them and donate it to charity, do the fact they're doing nothing to these guys um, is is really interesting to me.
0: I agree, and I, you know, I don't. So my idea was is you do something to this year's Astros team. I mean, obviously. The season hasn't started yet. Postseason so, ban? Yes. Uh, well, I think a postseason ban kind of fucks with some of the opponents a little bit too much. Because, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost like the teams that play them more in the AL West are going to get... Ooh, ooh.
1: Secret postseason ban. You don't tell them there's a postseason ban until the postseason. be no, like, so oh, sorry. Was my We're actually just going to give a third wild card. So too. here was
0: my idea. Is you basically make them start the season 0-10. So let's say... The Astros go out and win 92 games on the field. Well, they've actually won 82 games, so it's going to basically make it so they can't make the playoffs this year. And so that was the idea I had. I hadn't really seen anyone else say it. Obviously, they weren't going to do that, but I, I would have liked to have seen something really meaningful like that, where the players themselves have to suffer, uh, and and really kind of the fans have to suffer because the fans, I guess, you know, I don't know, I. I, don't, I guess some would say you know the fans have to live with the shame of knowing they rooted for a cheating World Series team. I don't think the fans are really losing too much in, in all of this. And I don't think the Astros organization is losing too much in all of this. I mean, sure, having to find a new GM and, and manager is going to suck. Uh, you know, They're going to have to live with this stigma for a while. But I don't think the draft picks do a whole hell of a lot. I mean, that's going to affect you five, six, seven, eight years down the road. Uh, five million dollars to a billionaire owner like nothing Jim dropping the bucket. is literally nothing. And I read Jason Stark made the point. I, I'm not, this. I didn't come up with this myself. But in having to fire uh, Lanau and Hinch, that their salaries amounted to almost five million dollars anyway. So you know you save the five million in salary that you have to pay MLB anyway. So the fine is totally negligible. I just think it's a soft sentence. Now you know Alex Cora is wrapped up in it. Carlos Beltran, who's the new Mets manager, he may get fired. He probably should get fired. He's um, going to
1: get fired. Apparently, he was the one of the biggest player advocates for the system.
0: Right. So, you know, I just think the whole thing sucks. I think, you know, as, as a lifelong f- big fan of Major League Baseball, I still love it. This is bad, man. I said it when it broke. This is a bad, bad thing that the Astros did. And they should be punished very severely. I don't think it was a severe punishment. That's it's my pick. it's
1: it's one of those things where there are there are so many layers to the sign stealing itself that there were so many times they had to make the decision to choose wrong over right. Like that, that it was so obvious, and it's all the people involved. It's not just. I mean, to be frank, I mean there are people who have said that Lunau himself did not know. But they're like, we don't care if you knew, dude. You were employing a guy who knew, and that's enough for us. And so the GM's gone because of it. I can't believe the players aren't. My somewhat radical idea, which would cause way too many waves and I I think would be too messy to actually sort out and could even cause some sort of strike. But I think you suspend every player who is involved for the season as well, and then you give every team – uh, the cap relief of what that player, basically the money back that they would have paid that guy to give to a free agent, a, a scab, a one-year rental, a guy now, now you can have, I mean, I'm not saying that the, the, the Astros or the Red Sox should be able to retool their roster, but the players on that team who are, who are involved and in the, and the players on that, those teams who had moved on, I think they all sit out a year and you give the, the teams that have them except for maybe the teams who were doing it, the Red Sox and the Astros, maybe you make them play with minor leaguers, um, but you just, you don't let the players play either.
0: Yeah. I mean, that would really screw up this entire upcoming season. It and
1: really well, and That's the thing is you don't want to, you, you don't want to have it start to have a ripple effect on other fan bases for other teams that weren't involved. But at the same time, just because you switch teams, if you're, if you're on the twins now, uh, does that mean that you should get to play a, a season and, and have your World Series ring? like wh- wh- why have you not received any punishment?
0: I agree. I mean i don't I don't know
1: I'm not sure there's a good answer. How you
0: punish uh, you know whoever it was, whether it was Yuli Guriel or or Jake Mariznick or uh, Evan Gaddis, you know Brian McCann, whoever it was, you know, go down the roster, whoever the guys were you know Brian McCann just retired so you know I don't know and he hasn't been implicated I'm just using that as an example right. um I just don't know I just feel like punishing them suspending those guys for a whole season is a little much but at least a month you know But
1: did, were they stealing signs the whole season if so then like Yeah I don't know it seems, I don't, seems I mean, like the, you did pretty the, well we for don't and, have,
0: and all yeah. the evidence, we don't really know. You know, they haven't named names to this point, but it sure seems like Cora and then Beltron were heavily involved.
1: Yeah, so, well, I guess Cora, he, 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 the trash can idea was his.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I also read something interesting just on the Cora, that Cora, when he was playing, you know, he was a, a coach uh, for the Astros. And then he subsequently right. went to the Red Sox and won the World Series the very next year it sure seems like they were doing some of the same cheating with Boston. And there's rumors that some other teams were doing it too. Uh, the Yankees and Dodgers specifically. You know, all the best teams, of course. You know, all the best teams. I guess the Nationals ha- are, have not been named in this. But all the other best teams, I guess, were cheating. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course they were. But, um, you know, uh, apparently Cora in his playing days was well-known among players for being an excellent sign stealer himself, just doing it legally, like looking in the dugout, mm-hmm. or looking right. at the third, third base coach. coach and he was pitching just like coach, known whoever. to be great at it. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that he had to resort to like actual against-the-rules cheating when he was so good at cheating kind of by the rules. If that's and for the
1: right. record, I don't have any problem with natural sign stealing. I think Nobody if, has if, if, a problem with right, that. Right. If you can see it, and you can relay it to your teammate, great. But the moment you start using radio transmissions, uh, binoculars, telescopes, various audio signals, no, 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 you, you've. I think the line is very easily clear.
0: I totally agree. Once again, we're on the same page. Um, it it the, it really does bother <laughs> me though, because you know baseball, as we've detailed time and time again. Has all kinds of fucking problems, and this is just another one. And they're likely headed for a work stoppage after this next season. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing just sucks. Uh, I I hate it, and of course yeah, I just hate it. it. It's it's bad for a game that I've loved since I was a little boy, and that that just I don't like it because of that. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. What's
0: your interesting of the week?
1: My interesting of the week is what I now believe. I think that uh, is a developing trend in the NFL and I think and I say this as we saw the uh Rob Gronkowski retirement before the season Bef- I mean he we know he'd been banged up he had a great career with the Patriots but was still uh I believe had not yet reached the age of 30 and then Andrew Luck in the preseason kind of abruptly retires same thing with him has not yet reached the age of 30 so I think, you know, two examples of that makes you perk your ears up a little bit. And then today, Luke Keekley, at the age of 28 announcing that he's going to retire. Now, all three of those guys have had uh, a pretty serious injury history in the NFL. But I think uh, what we're going to see a lot more of in future years is we're not going to see guys gutting it out for these 12 and 15 and 18 year careers, which are so unattainable. But the guys somehow hung around for uh, in decades past, these guys aren't built for that anymore. The game won't, won't allow for that anymore. As far as, you know, you mentioned last week we were talking just about the level of violence, uh, the natural violence that is happening in the game, how hard these men are hitting each other on a, on a regular basis and just how dangerous it is. And they, regardless of, of how much better today's modern athletes get, uh, the The hits are as hard as ever, and it's it is taking its toll and I think we're not we 're just at the beginning of seeing superstars in our game uh kind of just disappear suddenly because their bodies have had enough, and they don't they don't want to lose the rest of their lives over it and, and they've uh,
0: made a lot of uh, they 've made enough it, money
1: and they 've made enough money and so i I do think there's a little bit of a formula to it. I think you play out your rookie deal and then you play out your first big contract, and you probably sign your next big contract. And then whenever you feel like it's time, it's time. That usually is going to happen around a six- or seven-year mark. Uh, or at least, you know, that, that would be the first time you could kind of bail on that formula. But uh, but yeah, I think it may happen after the first giant payday. But at the same time, um, there the incentive is not there to play for to try to play for a decade and a half. And uh, and all and because of the money, they're able to be more health conscious. And I think that we're going to see players who choose to do that and who choose just choose to walk away more frequently. And I, I'll be interested to see what this the kind of these three big examples this year, what kind of a ripple effect they have. Uh, in the upcoming off season, if there are going to be guys who are playing right now in the playoffs, who say, "No, I'm good," at the start of next season, sure.
0: No, I think I think that there will be one or two. You know, I think that it's still uh, a very small minority of players that are are doing this, but it's enough now to where it's more than a trend. Um, you know, you go back to Patrick Willis a few years ago. That, mm-hmm. That's one that certainly comes to mind, and generally speaking, I mean, I'm always going to say I side with the player's decision. They should get to decide whatever they want, what's best for them. I'm always going to be on that side of things and happy for them, but beyond that, you know, I just think that they're making pretty good decisions, you know? I mean, they've made enough money. Why continue to go out there and pound your body into the ground to the point where, you know, you may not be able to have a, you know, a healthy life past the age of, of 45 or 50. And I think the more research that comes out and the more doctors are educated on this and then are in turn able to educate their, their football-playing clients, the more you're going to see this. And then the money is certainly a part of it too. And there's another part of it as well. You know, There's more media than ever before. I think there's more media jobs out there than ever before. So I think that even if maybe... You haven't made the amount of money that you desire on the field, you can go make darn good money. You know, in a case of of Andrew Luck or Luke Keekley, if they wanted to, they could go be on the CBS pregame show or, or announce for ESPN or whatever it is. They could also go into coaching or go into a front office pretty well and make plenty of money and further their career that way. But, you know, I think the superstars like Andrew Luck. Are going to have enough money in in the in the bank if they do what Marshawn Lynch is advocating and take care of their their chicken and you know that how great was that?
1: <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that because like Luke Keekley just did that he just he he took care of his chicken now he's taking care of his mentals yeah and a, uh, exactly and, and that is, it is exactly uh, the, what exactly what the, the mode great is philosopher Beast Mode and
0: I think that he's right but Beast Mode interestingly has come out of retirement two different times to go back and bang heads. So, you know, I don't know if he's the best guy to give that advice, but who am I to say? But, you know, I I applaud these guys' decisions. I do think we're going to see more of it. I don't think it's going to necessarily become a quote-unquote epidemic where, you know, the majority of guys are retiring before the age of 30. I think it's going to continue to be a a minority, but I do think you're going to see increasingly more of it.
1: Yep, I, I agree. We agree. We agree.
0: Okay, um, my interesting of the week is I was treated last night to a spectacular rock concert down at the SAP Center in Ooh. San Jose. I got to go see the band Tool. Um, I think it was my fourth time seeing them. I hadn't seen them in a while. Uh, I was fortunate. I, I was gifted really good seats, just that the, on the, not up on the stage, certainly, but to the side of the stage, you know, lower in some nice seats. And Ryan, I'm here to tell you, it was fucking awesome. I mean, (laughs) it was just an outstanding spectacle. I mean, it was very theatrical. Have have you gotten the chance to see them before?
1: I never have, no.
0: Well, let me tell you, to you and everybody else out there, if you like to go see rock shows, they're one of the best. I mean, just the, the power of these songs that they have. I mean, it's just one tour de force after another. I mean, I don't know how much you even know about him. I'm not a huge Tool fan, but every time I see him, I'm blown away. And last night was the most blown away I've ever been. I mean, this arena show that they've got now with the visuals on the screen and the lasers that they've got going. I mean, the sound was perfect. You know, their lead singer is a real – they're just a very uniquely weird and interesting band. Their their lead singer is this guy named Maynard James Keenan. Mm -hmm. He's famously – very strange and weird I mean just on stage he doesn't really ever uh, come to the center or front of the stage he stays in the back the whole time to where you can barely even see him he's always like kind of creeping around in the shadows (laughs) I mean he's a 55 year old man he's always wearing these like weird outfits I mean last night he had this full like leather suit on and he wears this big huge fake mohawk I mean he's totally bald now But he wears this fake mohawk. I mean, in his younger days, he pulled all kinds of weird stunts. uh, But he's just like a famous recluse. He's now become a big winemaker in Arizona, of all places, you know, where it's Hmm. like really hard to even grow grapes. Grow grapes? But he's got like this now pretty, pretty thriving wine business, you know, that he's created on his name that he made famous in this rock band. But it's just, you know, they've only got a guitar player a bassist, and a drummer. There's really no synth. And then the lead singer whose voice, you know, it's one of these cases where the voice is like an instrument unto itself. So it's just this uh, very uniquely powerful sound. You know, the the songs are very intense. I wouldn't, you know, I guess a lot of people say it's heavy metal, but it's not like super hard in your face. It's quite melodic for as heavy and aggressive Mm -hmm. as it is. Uh, The singer's voice is quite good and quite melodic. I mean, it's very much a theatrical production centered around kind of psychedelic metal rock is, is, you know, the layman's way of describing it. But in saying that, it doesn't really do it justice. It's kind of one of these things you really need to experience for yourself to understand it. And just from start to finish, they played for over two hours. It was just great from start to finish. Um, and It was awesome. It was great. I didn't get home till 1230. I was up around six. Uh, you know, I'm struggling a little bit right now. You know, it was a long drive down in rush hour traffic and a long drive back to San Francisco from San Jose. But well worth it. One of the best concerts I've seen in a long time in Tool and their fans and the guys in the band are just very, it's a unique thing. It's mysterious. It's kind of shrouded in mystery and sort of mythology to some extent I don't know of any other band that you would really totally compare them to and, and it was great if I get a chance to see them again if they continue to tour I'll go again it was just it's well worth it I loved it
1: Wow that is that quite the review and yeah I, I think that even though I haven't seen tool I'm not sure that I've seen a band uh, live and be quite like them there there is something to be said about. Excuse me. About one of those kind of <laughs> about one of those kind of super shows where it, it's it's a production that involves um, you know well choreographed uh, lights and sounds and, and just I, I've been to a couple shows like Metallica or ACDC where it's you know it's it's not the type of music it's not the type of aura that you're talking about but uh, at a big venue done right with the right kind of choreography and and stage and lighting setup. Uh, can can really lend to being more of an experience than just being, you know, listening to music in a small venue, which is also great in its own right. So I, I think that there's, um, especially bands like that that, no, I don't listen to a ton of Tool, but like, but a description of a show like that would definitely move the needle for me.
0: Yeah, and I do want to hit on one other thing that they did that I thought was really interesting. Um, they. On all the doors, like, you know, when you walk from the concourse down into your seats, on all those doors, they had, like, little printed-out signs basically saying that there was no photography or videography was allowed during the show. Um, and, it, you know, I thought they could have honestly made the signs a little bigger. I had heard about this policy before I went, so I knew I wasn't going to be breaking out my phone at all. But then right before the show, right before the band came on, they made an announcement over the P.A., you know, reminding everyone, do not break out your phone. There's no photography, no videography. And then when the show started, I guess some people didn't get the message. And of course, people were breaking out their phones, but the ushers and the security staff were, I mean, they were fucking hard asses. They were not joking around. I mean, if they saw you with your phone out, they'd shine the light. You know, they all had flashlights they, they were all over you. They would shine the light in your face and then come over and tell you that if they see you breaking your phone out again, that you were going to get kicked out. I never broke my phone out, but I saw a bunch of people getting reprimanded. And then a couple that was sitting kind of right in front of me to the left, they got kicked out at some point. You know, towards Damn. the end, I didn't see if they had been warned before. I suspect they had. But, the, you know, the security came over and basically was like, you guys are out of here. And, and they kicked them. They kicked them out. Uh, and I don't know how many people got kicked out, but I mean, it was, they were really enforcing it. And then the, what sort of the payoff to that was when the very last song was about to begin, uh, Maynard James Keenan came on and said, you can film now and kind of like laughed about it. And then they went into their final song. So the last song, everyone was oh. able to break out their phones like normal, get their video, get their pick to take home and send to their friends or put on. Instagram or Facebook, and I just thought they really kind of did that one right. I think that that's a policy that more bands, uh, you know, if they're bothered by the fact that everyone's on their phone the whole time, or maybe they just want to create kind of a unique and intimate experience, you know, of course, as we know, everyone's on their phone all the time these days, and I don't really know all the reasons that the band has for instituting this policy, I can guess, but... I just think it's a cool policy, honestly, and I think it benefits everyone involved. You know, I think it did create a kind of a unique environment where people weren't on their phone the whole time. I thought it made the show a little bit, you know, I was locked in a little more than I would have been normally. You know, I'm not a huge photo taker or whatever, but if I'm at a great show, I'm going to take a couple of pics or I might text my wife or. Text a buddy about how fun it is or whatever. And I just thought it it did create a really kind of cool atmosphere. And I thought they did a nice job there at the end by letting people take pics during the very last song. And again, I think it's a, a policy that more bands probably should and maybe might adopt going forward.
1: Yeah, there's something also just more authentic feeling about being in a in a concert without all the rectangles lit up in front of you. You know, totally. I just there, there, there's uh, it, it, it lends to a different feel, and I don't know if that's part of what's behind it or if it's more proprietary, but uh, either way, I, I do think it makes a lot of sense.
0: Totally. Okay, we're going in the book. We've only got two more trips in the book for football <laughs> left in the year. We got this championship Sunday, then two Sundays from that, we got the Super Bowl, which... It, we may get to watch together down in Arizona. So we, we, can, we
1: very well may.
0: Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. But we'll save that for, for next week's pod, or I guess it would be the week after's pod. But anyway, uh, who do you like in these two games on
1: Sunday? Uh, the, the one that I feel strongest about is the 49ers. Uh, I, I think that they're going to roll. And uh, I think that the Packers, I don't want to say we're lucky to win on, uh, on, on Sunday, They. They did what they needed to do against uh, Russell Wilson and company, but they had a big lead early, and they almost squandered it. And I just, excuse me, second okay. yawn coming through. I'm tired. So, I, know, I know you are, but <laughs> um, but it just it, it doesn't feel like they have the the juice necessary to keep up with the 49ers. And I, I think that the fact that they had to kind of play all 60 minutes last week uh, in a – in, uh, even though it was a home environment, a cold environment, now they're coming to the West Coast where they got their asses kicked in Week 12. And, you know, everyone seems to think it's an advantage that uh, they've already played once this year. And, yeah, probably won't end up the exact same way. But uh, I saw a stat that Aaron Rodgers is like 0-5 against teams uh, that he lost to in the regular season that he then played in the playoffs. Uh, so it's not it's not like the, having played them already and lost them should provide any great advantage. Um, I, I think the Niners Wait, say
0: that again. He's zero five in the playoffs against teams he lost to in the regular season.
1: I believe that was the stat. Wow,
0: that I, I hadn't heard yeah. of that one.
1: Okay. It's so, so that uh, yeah, when he's lost to a team already, he doesn't necessarily you know avenge it that same postseason, um, or at least hasn't yet. So. Uh, and I'd have to go through and fact-check it because there were a lot of qualifiers with that stat, but uh, it, it sounded plausible, so I'm running with it. But uh, the... I, I just... I think that the Niners are getting healthy at the right time. I think they're kind of firing on all cylinders. I don't really even think that Jimmy G has been at his best yet, but their running game is imposing their will. Uh, they, they just seem very versatile offensively and can kind of take whatever the defense is going to give them. And defensively, they're just stout. Uh, I, I think that they're talented enough to be able to put pressure on Rodgers and not let Devontae Adams beat them. And if you can do those two things, uh, I don't see any reason why they they, why, why they wouldn't cover that seven and a half points. So that is that is the one that I feel most strongly about. And I also think that the Chiefs are going to roll the Titans as well. I, I, I wish that I believed we were getting two good games. I think we're going to get two two-score games. I think that the Chiefs win by 14-plus. Um, they facing a 24 Nothing deficit one in a blowout last week. I don't. I don't even. It was know. unfucking believable. It was incredible, and I just I don't see how the Titans are one going to either stop that offense or two going to keep up with that offense. I just don't think either is plausible for the way this Tennessee team is built. Now, I've also seen that Derrick Henry's never lost to the Chiefs in his career, um, which. I don't know how that's possible, but apparently it is. And he's also run for seven yards per carry against them. He's been their bell cow. Uh, I think the Chiefs are clearly going to try to load up on that and make Ryan Tannehill beat him. Ryan Tannehill has only thrown the ball 28 times over the last two games. It's yeah. 14 times per game. Both um, tremendous wins on the road. Incredible wins on the road. But, yeah. they, but he's not been asked to do a lot. And uh, I think... The Chiefs find a way to change that. And even if so, – like, I just – Ryan Tannehill's not going to go score for score with Patrick Mahomes. And as stout as the Tennessee defense has been so far, I don't think they're stout and talented enough to cover up all of Kansas City's weapons.
0: You know, Ryan, we agree on a lot. And it's it's pretty amazing, to be honest. I, I totally agree with you on both games, which means we'll probably lose both. But, <laughs> you know, when the Lions came out – uh on Sunday night once the matchups were set and I saw that both were seven I took both favorites right then and there I thought both lines were going to be closer to 10 I was honestly surprised that they were both as low as they were so I took both favorites and as you know and as people who listen to the show a lot know I'm an underdog better uh, yeah generally speaking for better or for worse I like the favorites a lot in both these games I like you I like the Niners more than I like the Chiefs. I just don't think the Packers have the personnel. You yeah. know, the only way the Niners can lose this game is if, you know, they're minus three in the turnover battle,
1: making big mistakes yeah. deep in their own Which territory. Is possible.
0: Sure. It's possible. Certainly possible, but I don't think it's likely. And you know, the the first matchup, the Monday night game, uh where the Niners drill Green Bay doesn't mean a whole lot to me. You know, I think that the Niners now, with their defensive players back, uh, namely Quan Alexander and D. Ford and Jaquiski Tart, when they're healthy, they are just a ferocious defense. I mean, they Mm -hmm. were very impressive against the Vikings. They completely shut uh, Dalvin Cook down. I expect they will do the same to Aaron Jones in the Packer running game. And like you said... I don't think the Packers have enough weapons. I don't think Devontae Adams is enough. As good as Aaron Rodgers is, and he's great, he they don't have enough to come mm-hmm. to Santa Clara on Sunday and win the NFC Championship. And I think that the Niners win relatively easily. I'm a little bit less certain of the Chiefs just because of Derrick Henry and the run that he's on. I mean, he's the first player in NFL history to mm-hmm. run for three straight games of 170 or more. And the way he's done it to go into New England and into Baltimore and do it to those two teams is really as, impressive. It's as impressive as it gets. I mean, obviously, I'm a big Derrick Henry fan going back to his Alabama Heisman and National Championship days. I love him. I mean, he's my favorite player By in the By the way, NFL. are you
1: familiar with his high school numbers?
0: I am. I mean, he's, oh he's one of the most God. prolific high school rushers in the history of high school
1: football. A coworker of mine... uh, I had seen them in the past, but kind of forgotten about them. And a coworker of mine circled back to those a couple of days ago, and they're just—they're staggering. I think then, that he—he he ran for like twelve thousand yards, um, and it's like sixty something touchdowns in, or what was it? no one hundred and twenty something touchdowns. I don't know. Yeah. It was in the same number. But what's
0: crazy about that, Ryan, is apparently Sabin was one of the few big-time programs that thought he could play running back in college. Most other programs that wanted him big. to be either a safety or a linebacker.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, how stupid is that? Well, you know? I don't get it. Mean,
1: but yeah, but yeah.
0: anyway, you know, I, I do think the Chiefs are going to roll. I don't see how the Titans can keep up with them. But if Derrick Henry can go for a buck 80 again, they're going to keep the game close. I mean, at a certain point, yeah. you know, you know, the, the Ravens loaded up the box, and they just couldn't do anything about it. At a certain point, if you've got a really good offensive line who's creating holes for a running back that's impossible to tackle, there's only so much you can do as a defense. So if that happens, I do think the Titans have a chance to not only stay in the game, but win the game. I really like the Titans' defense. I like everything about them. I just don't think that they can keep up with the Chiefs on the scoreboard, honestly. And, and you know what homes- Michael I you oh, go, go mentioned
1: ahead. it with you mentioned it with the Chiefs and if Derrick Henry's role and they could keep it close. I also think that Aaron Rodgers is the kind of quarterback that swoops in for a backdoor cover even even if this, his team right. doesn't win the game. Uh, so when those two lines first came out, I uh, did I also jumped on a bet, but I did a teaser with both of them. So it was just a, a straight 6-point teaser so instead of them each winning by seven. It was their, each team just has to win by one. And it's a minus 120 payout. And that that was the route that I immediately
0: went. So I had never done a teaser, ever. And I did my first teasers last weekend. Uh, I had the Titans, plus, it was a 10-point spread, so I had them plus 16, which Uh I obviously won. And then I paired them, I had two bets. I paired them with Houston plus 15 and a half. I mean, they were up. 24-0, Twenty-four, nothing, and I had plus fifteen and a half, <laughs> oh, and I didn't come close to winning that.
1: Such a I mean, See, how I bad just, is that? I just had the Chiefs minus nine and a half, and I was thrilled to get that cover. But yeah, yeah. to have Houston plus fifteen and a half and not get it is uh, is really tough. Really,
0: really tough. So I lost that teaser, but then I had Seattle plus uh, what was it, ten and a half? So I covered that one. So I won one teaser. I lost the other. I'm not teasing anymore. At least not this weekend. I just, it's it's it's, it's dangerous, things, but I just it exists. I, for I like a I like
1: my tease this week. I just I think basically I I feel confident in the Niners and Chiefs both winning.
0: Yeah, I do too. Maybe I'll end up doing a little teasing, but I, <laughs> I really don't want to because I just feel like it's such a sucker play. Yeah, so it is. The, the it casinos is. offer it for a reason, and the reason is you're gonna lose, right? So. You know, I, I, I hate <laughs> Well, parlays. you know what?
1: At the last two weekends, everybody has had teasers, has had money line teasers attached to the Patriots and to the Ravens. Right.
0: And and how'd that work out for them? It did not. So, you know, it's hard for me to envision both of these favorites rolling as we both think they are, but that that's just honestly what I think. I think, like you, that both favorites are going to roll. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to go to a bar with my wife. We haven't decided where, but watch the Niners game. You know, soak up some of the local Niners flavor. So that should be fun. Nice. Um, but what's your wild card? Uh,
1: so my wild card comes because uh, this I haven't been watching them av- as they've aired, and I don't even know how it finished up. But I was watching the uh, greatest of all time Jeopardy series with Alex uh-huh. Trebek uh, hosting essentially a Champion of Champions tour with – Ken Jennings, James Holzhauer and, uh, Brad Rudder. And, uh, I was just, I've always enjoyed watching Jeopardy and, you know, pretty proud of myself when I get a string of those answers. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but, It it made me wonder for the wild card, is there a a game show that either you watched growing up or that even you see the format now as a pro and you're like, I'd be really good at that one? That that you're like, I I think... There's
0: a great wild card. You are better at coming up with the wild cards than I am. That's just not even debatable. (laughs) I don't don't know
1: if that's true. No,
0: it is true. It it is. I I struggle with them a lot of weeks, including this one. But um, that's a great wild card question. Two come to mind. And honestly, I don't watch really any game shows and haven't for a while. I haven't.
1: I, same here, but I used to when I was a kid, Home whatever. Yeah, sick, I used, used to be into you know.
0: Jeopardy. I haven't. I, I meant to watch some of that Champions thing. I haven't seen a minute of it. I don't even know when Jeopardy's on. I mean, I could, I'm sure I could figure it out. I, I don't even know really where to find it. But to answer your question, two come to mind. I used to be a really big uh, Family Feud fan. When I was Okay,
1: nice. I was going to go down that road. Go
0: ahead. Yeah, I just always thought it would be cool if like my family could get on Family Feud. Of course, we never pursued it. I haven't seen Family Feud in probably 20 years, but I think Family Feud is really cool, and I always sort of fancied myself being on Family Feud. And then the other one, and this is a real blast from the past. My sister and I, you know, kids growing up with cable TV... We were big into Nickelodeon, specifically Double Dare.
1: Nice, Um, yeah.
0: And then we actually at one point, I think, like formally applied for the two of us to like be on Double Dare. (laughs) And of course, it never went anywhere. But, you know, Mark Summer was the host and you would Mm -hmm. do the obstacle courses and get slimed on. And, And I was just, my sister and I both were really big Double Dare fans. So those are the two that stand out for me. How about you?
1: Uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, you, you invoking Nickelodeon brings up uh, some some pretty good memories. I don't know if you remember the show Guts, uh, that was like kind of like an athletic competition show, uh, on, also on Nickelodeon, hosted by Mike O'Malley, and the culmination of each one, they always had these weird kind of games where like you're attached to a bungee and have to jump off a foam tower and then dunk a basketball or you have to like get across a pool in a canoe faster than the next guy. But the, it always culminated with a climb up the aggro crag. It was like this <laughs> mount, mountain and you had to hit a bunch of buzzers on the way up. Uh, and I always thought that I, I could and should do that when I was growing up. But like you, I thought Family Feud always seemed not necessarily that I needed to be straightforward, but a lot of the families on there like – have two or like one or two, or sometimes even three week links where they're just people offering up the dumbest answers, and you're like, Oh, my family would kill these people. <laughs> and, right. and so, I, I have thought that, uh, yeah, Family Feud would certainly be one. The other one is that uh, a couple years back, NBC Sports Network uh, rolled out a sports jeopardy hosted by Dan Patrick, and uh, I recorded a number of those episodes and tried to. Watch them almost, almost as a contestant to see how I would do against the contestants that were there, and uh, I, I think I would have fared pretty well. My only issue is I don't think I'm old enough. Some of my depth of knowledge of uh, older sports history uh, from before our time isn't probably quite up to snuff, but uh, would love a sports trivia based game show as well.
0: Yeah, you know the the sports trivia one, I feel like kind of has been a genre that's been underserved over the years. The one that I thought was really good back in the day was Stump the Schwab. Yeah, remember? yeah, on I do ESPN remember that. With Howie Schwab. I really enjoyed that one, but mm-hmm. I don't know why they don't just straight up do like a sports jeopardy. Um, well, but... they did.
1: with they, they had it. That's what it was with Dan Patrick on oh, NBC right. Sports Network.
0: That's right. It, it was very short-lived.
1: Yeah, it didn't go for very long. No.
0: Okay, here's my wild card. It's not as good as yours, but here's what I got. Do you think Joe Burrow is going to be a good NFL quarterback?
1: No, oh, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> I'm inclined to say yes, and I just I think he kind of has the right combination of things. the The biggest thing going against him is that he's going to a crappy situation in Cincinnati. Totally. So I don't know if it's you know if. Mm-hmm. Zach Taylor is gonna turn that ship around. And if Joe Burrow's kind of gonna be the captain of that ship, or if Joe Burrow is going to have to wait for a second opportunity with another team like a Ryan Tannehill or at least before he finally coach. or at least another coach. But uh I like his makeup. I think that he is good at quick decision making. I think he knows how I think he's a football player, knows how to protect his body pretty well. Um, I also think that he is just, he's the kind of guy that you hear stories. I mean, you see kind of the swagger and the confidence and you hear it in interviews and stuff. And there are plenty of quarterbacks who have that and don't have the rest of it going on. But there's also the stories about him being like a total film room rat and just being at the facility as much as uh, some of his coaches. And if, if that commitment to study, um, is met with that kind of confidence and, and swagger, that's a pretty dangerous combination, and I'm inclined to think that that's going to work. Yeah,
0: I don't know, to, to answer my own question. My, my The answer is I'm not sure. Well, if like, I knew that were an
1: option, I'd take that too. Like I, I,
0: like I said uh, when we were discussing LSU, I really thought that he was not as good as his numbers were sort of indicating um, over the course of the season. But the more I watched him, obviously, the more I liked him, the more I thought he was really, really good. I I, I still think that, you know, I do think that on some level he is a product of this amazing system where he was surrounded by amazing talent. But to our earlier point, it's not like he was playing, no offense, but it's not like he was playing in the Pac-12, right? So mm-hmm. I mean he was playing pretty much the best college schedule for the most part that you could possibly play and he ripped them apart. I like you do worry about the Bengals although it's obviously not a done deal that he's going to go there someone could move up and trade for him certainly but you know I don't know it's just so tough to be a really good college I mean a really good NFL quarterback. I mean there's what maybe 10 guys at most on planet earth right now that you would say are good NFL quarterbacks. So just the, the odds in general are heavily stacked against not only him, but every college quarterback that comes into the NFL. So for that reason alone, I think the odds are against him. But he sure does seem to have all the tools. The one thing that I worry about, again, is you know it did seem like over the course of the year, a lot of these long, you know, he was obviously the king of the long ball, the king of the, the home run shot. It seemed Mm -hmm. like a lot of times those receivers were just wide fucking open. And (laughs) he was always right on the money. It's not like he was ever under throwing or over. I mean, he was always right on the money. But in the NFL, I don't think that those wide open receivers deep down the middle of the field are going to be there nearly as much. I think he's going to take more physical punishment in the NFL, just as everyone does. But I think he's really tough. I think he's really smart. I think he's got a great arm. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say I do think he'll be a good NFL quarterback, but it's hard for me to say I think he's going to be a great NFL quarterback just because it's just so hard to be a great NFL quarterback. Yes, it is. Yeah. So we I think that's my assessment without really going out on a limb.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I it, it's tough to know with the current situation it appears he's going to. That's a tough ship to turn around. Um he, he, he could even be the right guy for the job and maybe out of his control, what we kind of deem successful. But uh, I, I think he... yeah. go ahead, sorry. No, no, that, that, that's about all I got. I'll
0: say this. If you want to just compare him to the last two quarterbacks drafted first overall, Mayfield and Kyler Murray, I think he's going to be better than them. Uh, I like him more coming out of college than I like either one of them. So, for whatever that's worth.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's ever, with all these guys, it's so circumstantial about who's guiding them and, and who they have surrounding them and supporting them. It is. And then what they do with the, with the situations they're presented with. See guys who make the most of it and guys who make the worst of it.
0: Yeah, and health, you know, he could mm-hmm. take a terrible shot in, in game, you know, similar to how Garoppolo blew out his ACL in the first start, you know, with the Niners last year. Now, obviously, he's come back, but something like that, I mean, it's like we were talking about earlier. The NFL's rough as hell, man. I mean, big-time injuries happen all the time, and you take a couple shots, and your career's basically done. I mean, look at uh, Robert Griffin III. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's just very, very tough. It's, it's a tough gig for sure.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it absolutely is. I mean, there's there are far more failures than there are successes uh, <laughs> when we talk about quarterbacks who were great in college and ended up great in the pros, too.
0: Yeah. All right, that's enough. We've done enough damage here. Uh, I look forward to breaking down Championship Sunday with you next week. I thank everybody. We both thank everybody for listening. And as we always do here on the Buck and Sack Show, we say good night, everybody. Sleep tight.
1: Good um, night,